God bless you. God bless you. We are uh, finishing a series today, and I want to encourage you next week. Do not miss next week. We're going to be having a uh, generosity for the house service. I'm going to be showing you, Lord willing, and I've seen some excerpts of this. We're going to be showing you our future building up on up on the mountain. Uh, we will have a virtual tour completely rendered, hopefully by then. And uh, thank you, Chad. And we're going to be showing that to you and kind of talking a little bit about that and challenging uh, our church to to uh, get behind this campaign and to see what God is going to do. I, I believe that God is doing a great work here at Northridge Church. I do. But I also believe that there's a great work to be done. Uh, from the foundations of this church launch, of course, Pastor David and I sat back and began to survey. David kind of uh, was the catalyst behind a little study of the many, many thousands of people in our community that are, that are untouched by the local church. And we believe that there's some amazing churches in our community, and we want to see each one of them thrive. In fact, I've heard it said many times, we don't need another church. You know what I believe? I believe that we need the ones that we have filled, and then we need even more churches than that. We've got 30,000 people just in Thompson and Upson County alone, and about 23,000 of them are not in church today. And that's not okay. So we want to talk about that in the building context. We're almost finishing the two buildings that are up there uh, now. One is going to be the youth building, a chapel, uh, and then the other is a, ch a children's building. And uh, a lot of things going on. Need your prayers. Rush is coming up in just two and a half months away. Uh, we'll see thousands of people uh, come into our community for this event. We're going to be hosting it, of course, as you well know, up on the mountain on our property. It's the first of hopefully many things that we'll be able to do up there to invest back into our community through the land that God has given us. So y'all pray uh, with us about that. Today I'm going to finish a series that I've been dealing with now for about five weeks and, and dealing with stewardship. And remember, we started this whole context of stewardship based on this one premise, that God owns everything, everything is about Him, everything has Him in the end result. Colossians 1.16 is the verse that we base that upon. Verse 117 of Colossians says that all things consist by Him. Guys, here's the reality. Everything that we see, everything we have, everything we are, in fact, even you, the Bible says that you have been bought with a price. You're no longer your own. And we have to realize that we have a duty and a responsibility and obligation over that. In fact, I think oftentimes in the church, people don't want to hear that. Today in the prosperity movement, people don't want to hear that there's anything that we have to do. The Grace Evangelical Society would have us to believe that all we got to do is believe. Well, you know, the Bible says even the demons in hell believe and they tremble. Guys, it's not enough just to believe. There's an application. Let me, let me apply this to you, if I may, in the context of the season that we're in. I, when I asked my wife to marry me, understand, she would not be my bride until she said yes, until we stood in front of a man of God until we went into a contractual covenant agreement between me and her and of course God and said I do then we became of course who we are today uh, lovers and, and friends and I just said lovers out loud in church y'all just got a big mental image there sorry scratch that but she is my hot mama but here's the thing guys I, I, in fact, in fact if I, I gotta make a public apology to my wife yeah I do Got a confession to make. I did not get a card for my wife. I know, really. I know, loser. On Valentine's Day, I took her to eat last night at Captain D's. Why are you laughing? I mean, and Jeremy was with us. It wasn't at all a date. So, I mean, I just feel bad. I want, I want to publicly apologize for you. You deserve Ruth's Chris, Fogo de Chow. I mean, you do. You're, you're the bomb. In fact, since y'all clapping, I, I feel at liberty to do this. I, what I need is I, I need $100 from somebody to, so I can take my wife out. You got, seriously? 
Tim Knights, you are the bomb, dude. That's what I'm talking about. I don't even know what these look like. Throw good a child, baby, me and you. Everybody else needs to be a community group tonight. Me and baby are going to Buckhead. You know, I wonder why everybody didn't jump up and bring your pastor $100. I'll tell you why. Because that was the money that I gave Tim before the service started. You laugh, but here's the deal. The reason Tim could so easily jump up and start shouting to help a brother out is because it wasn't his money. It was money that I gave him. And see, he's a little looser, if you will. Jill was going, I cannot believe he has given our money away. But see, it wasn't his. It was, it was mine. Now, see, by way of application, hear me. When you get your head around what just happened in the spiritual realm and realize that everything you have, God owns it, you won't hold on to things quite as tight as you have been holding on to them. You see, because the Bible says in the book of Job that God gives and God takes away. We see also in the finality and the doxology of our life and the, and the finality of all things that we will stand before a holy God. Hear me. Hey, we're still going to Fogo de Chow, by the way. That was my money, but you are going there. We deserve that. You deserve that. But in the final of all things, hear me. And we see this in, 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 the, in the passage of Scripture. And you can turn there while I'm talking. Matthew 25, uh, verses 14 and following with the, with the parable of the talents. When we stand before God one day, and we all will. Romans says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Understand something. You're not going to escape that. You're also not going to escape one of two things that are going to be said. One is this. Depart from me, you worker. Hear me. Listen to the words here. You worker of iniquity, I never knew you. The word working implies that they were doing something, but they were a worker of iniquity, not a worker of righteousness. Conversely, you see the words that are spoken at the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, where you and I are judged, and we're going to stand before him, and here's what he's going to say. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Servant also implies that there was a job done. There was something that was performed. James says, faith without works is completely dead. You'll see that tonight if you're in community group. Understand something, guys. It doesn't matter what you think and what I think. What matters is what this book says, and here's the reality. There is a duty. There is is a responsibility, Let me, may I say an obligation, that we have to respond to what God has given us. Five stewardship principles that we began sharing last week, of course, the first, and we just saw that in, in the illustration with Tim, is when we realize that it all belongs to God. Look at verse 14, Matthew 25. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, watch this, who called his own servants. Even the servants belong to him. And he delivered his goods to them. Everything these people had, including their life, was owned by the Lord in this story. Guys, this is an allegory. This is not just a story about talents. Remember I told you last week, a talents was somewhere equivalent to about 6,000 uh, denarii. And what that means is that was about a million dollars. 20 years wages. The second guy had uh, two of them. So you're talking uh, as much as $2 million. The third, of course, had as much as $5 million. This was a big deal, but it wasn't really about money. It was about the opportunities. It was the golden opportunities, may I say. 
You say, Mark, how do you know it wasn't about money or it wasn't about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14? The reason I know is because what he told him, he said, I gave each one of you a talent according to his ability. So we know that he's not talking about abilities. He's talking about golden opportunities that God puts into our life for a purpose. And as you study, and I'm going to read the whole text again, you realize that the one he gave five turned that over to ten. The one he gave two turned it over to four. But the one who was given one talent equivalent to a million dollars by way of allegory, watch what he did. He went and buried it. He went and put it out of sight, out of mind. And this is what he's saying. I realize that my Lord is not a fair man. He's reaped where he has not sown. He begins to justify in his mind this idea that he can go and do whatever he wants to do. He don't have to pay anything back. Can I tell you something? God does not give you anything for you to sit on it in a melting pot and just do what you will. God wants you to take that obligation, I mean that blessing, take it in, use it for the glory of God. Jesus said himself, I came that I may seek and save that which was lost. It is God's heartbeat, church, that we are out and about God's business seeking the lost. That's the obligation. That's the responsibility. That entails the whole concept of stewardship. The first principle that I told you was it all belongs to God. Secondly, our faithfulness or success is a product of our work. Man, that's a dirty word in church. That is the dirtiest four-letter word in church today, work. Nobody wants to do anything. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about church corporately. We have some of the greatest servants in this room, and I thank God for that. But be very careful, guys, that you don't get away from this book and understand that you can't just come into this building and say, bless me if you can, and walk out there and see you next week. And maybe you bless somebody by your presence on Wednesday night. Maybe you show up on Let me tell you something. When your life begins to change, it's when, when you turn it around and do something for the glory of God. That's when you're going to change. God is not going to impose that on your life. Hey, I could bring that same relationship once again back into Stephanie and I. We can be married. Hear me. This happens all over the world today. We can be married. We can live in the same home. We can have an obligation, obligatory relationship, if you will, contractually, covenant before God, and never have an intimate relationship, conversation, friendship, anything that goes with that. We can go our whole life and never truly have the marriage that God intends us to have. And we do the same thing in the church today. There is a response. And what I was saying here in this, in this second principle is our faithfulness or success is a product of our work. You say, Mark, what do we have to do? Jesus has paid for it in full. Yes, understand something. Because he has bought it. Because he has paid for it. Let me go back up to Tim. If Tim would really would have given me $100, and Tim, you can anytime you want to, if you truly gave me $100 and said, I want you to take Stephanie to dinner, let me tell you what I would not do. I would not take my buddy and go on a dove shoot and, and pay for that. That wouldn't be right because his intentions were that, he, that I use it for her. That's what we have to put our head around. It's what is God blessing you with a talent for, with? What is God blessing you with a heart for? What is God blessing you an ability to lead a women's ministry? What is God blessing you uh, the ability to be a deacon? He didn't do that just so you could say, look what I got. Look at this nice little wall hanging certificate I got. He wants you to do something with it for the honor and for the glory of God. That's what we have to put our head around. I want to hear those words. Well done. A good and faithful servant. I want you to know something. That word servant, I looked that up. It's interchangeably used with the word steward. Servant and steward imply the same thing. Well done, that good and faithful steward. Thirdly, and I'm just qualifying these from last week. God always, I love this. I love, I love this point. If you're a note taker, put an asterisk beside this one. 
God always gives us everything we, knew, we, we need to do what he's called us to do. In fact, Philippians uh, 2.13 says this, It is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If there's anything in you with a desire to serve God's people, with a desire to teach Sunday school, with a desire to teach small group, with a desire to sing, with a desire to share the gospel, with a, listen, if there's anything in you and you're sitting back and you're saying, I kind of think I want to go on a missions trip. I kind of think I want to testify. I kind of think I want to do this. It is not in you to want to do those things. Philippians 2.13 unequivocally tells us that if it's in you, God put it there for his purpose. Now parallel that with my point here. God has given you everything you need to do everything he's called you to do. I've heard some people say, if he's called you to it, he'll, call you, he'll bring you what? Through it. Well, Philippians 1, 6 says this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in me will also complete it. I don't know about you, but that's liberating to me, that I don't have to perform to some level of, uh, of expertise for God to be pleased with me. Can I tell you something? The only thing, hear me, church, the only thing that makes God pleased with you is the fact that you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ in and on your life. All the other stuff that you do is so that you can be a blessing, that you can be blessed. I've heard this said. How many of you guys have been with us to Jamaica over the years? Wave your hand at me. How many of you, when you first went, said this? You said it out loud, maybe to yourself or to a, uh, to a friend. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to be a blessing to those people. We've all said that. Every single time we get in small group, and we do that every night when we're in Jamaica, we sit down and we reflect on what's happened. We begin to share and testify and so forth and so on. We have worship. It's an amazing time with God. You see people coming out saying, and they're emotional. They say, I came here to be a blessing, but man, these people were more of a blessing to me than I ever could have been to them. That doesn't have to just happen in Jamaica. That can happen every day of your life right here in Thomaston, in Williamson, in Molina, wherever you live. You don't have to wait. Listen to me, church. You don't have to wait till you get on the mission field before you begin to share what God's doing in your life. In fact, if I could be so bold to say it this way, you're not qualified to go on a missions trip over there if you're not ministering in your own, in your own Jerusalem. You and I have a duty and responsibility. And here's the reality. The ability and the gifts that we have are God-given. I love this. If they're God-given, then that's the area that God's going to put the hedge of protection around us with. Listen, God is not going to call you to move a mountain. God is not going to call you to, to, cleanse, uh, to cleanse a leper if he hasn't already given you the ability to do it. And see, that's what the disciples ran into at every turn. God was calling them to do things, and they couldn't do it. Because they didn't have enough faith. Fourthly, real quickly. We work for the master. Not our own selfish purposes. Or for our own increase. As I look at this point in scripture. In the story, the Lord or the man who went away. Is the one with the money. He's the one who owned the servants. And he's the one who entrusted stewardship over his money. Watch this. Not just to simply make himself more wealthy, but to expand his estate. The allegory there is to expand his kingdom. God is not giving us anything so that we can sit back and say, wow, look what God has done. Man, I, listen, I'm not going to call a preacher's name. I think every man of God that's called by God, we're going to stand before God and we're going to take an account doubly, I believe, for everything that comes out of this, this hole in our head, our mouth, anything we speak as we stand before God's people. But watch this. 
If you think for one minute that God is interested in you being rich or wealthy or having a bunch of stuff just for the sake of you being able to stand up and say, look what God gave me, you're sadly mistaken. God has given us that so that we may take it and use it for his honor and for his glory. And this point, watch this, is found so evident in this verse. Why? Because you know when the talents were given out, he came back to reckon with them on what they had done with it. And watch what happens. When they came back to him, he said, what do you have for me? The one who had five turned it into ten. He gave him all ten back. The one who had two that turned it into four, he gave him all four back. And ironically, the one that's like many of us in the church today, the one who had one, he took it and he said, hey, we're going to be settled. We're going to be even. I've taken what you've given me. I haven't lost a penny. I had not squandered it. I'm not the prodigal son in Luke 15. I've taken it. I've buried it. And watch what happens. He said, here is what you gave me. I've given it back. And he said, depart from me because you will be cast into outer darkness. Why? Because God is not wanting back what he's given you. He's wanted it pressed down, shaken together, running over, that it becomes a blessing. He he wants us to, if you will, if I can say it this way, when we get to heaven, he wants a line of people behind us that we brought with us. That is the opportunity. That is the talent. That is what we have stewardship over. See, I think sometimes we feel that if we do something great, if we take more money and put it in the plate, if we testify, if we teach a class, if we keep the nursery, we feel like that God is super pleased with us. Can I tell you something? Do you know the, 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 the gift that we get back for doing anything for God is simply the joy that we have in knowing that we've done what he called us to do. If you think today that heaven is heaven because the streets are gold and the walls are jasper, the gates are pearl, and because Simon Peter's standing there, oh, and all the dialogues you hear going on with Simon Peter, let me tell you something. Heaven ain't heaven because of all those things. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. And my reward is the fact that Jesus is there. I'm not going to go up to the Apostle Paul and say, how did you do that? How did that feel when the serpent bit you? How did that feel when you had a shipwreck two or three times? How did all that feel when you were cast out of the city because you were stung? You're not going to ask those questions because you will be so in awe of who hung on the cross and died for you. That is all that's going to matter. Heaven is heaven because of Jesus. That name which is above every name. The name by which every man must be saved. That's what makes heaven heaven. And when I'm here on earth, as it is in heaven, the glory I get is knowing that I've done something that pleased him. That's all I need. I don't need an accolade for man. I don't need something to put on my wall. I don't need a post on Facebook that says, hey, that was amazing. What I need is to know that what God has given me, I've taken it, I've prayed over it, and I've turned it back out to try to make a difference for the glory of God. We need to quit being a reservoir and start bringing in God's business, taking out, be a channel. We need to start being a blessing. And then fifthly, verse 19. It says, and after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled the accounts with them. Help me here. Maybe we could do some congregation feedback. Why do people really feel that there is no sense of urgency to what we're doing as those things pertain to God. Why do we feel that we just have time? Time is, is something that we don't have. 
We're, we're regulated by time. We watch time. Some of you are already looking at your watch, and, man, the food at Norse's is getting cold. You know, some of you are so regulated by time, but understand something, guys. All you have is right now. What are you going to do with what you have right now? Because at some point in time, make no mistake about this, church, there's going to be a defining day of reckoning where we will be held accountable. We will stand. We will kneel. We will fall uh, prostrate before God and look to him and see the awe and the wonder and the majesty of who he truly is. The Bible says when we see him, we don't know what we shall be, but we will be like him. We will know things. We will understand things fully. Everything, every sermon that you've ever heard, every chance you had to share the gospel Ezekiel says it this way. If we don't sound that trumpet, guess what? Then the people who didn't get it because we didn't speak it into their lives, their blood is on our hands. Read Revelation 20, 21 at the great white throne judgment. We will be there with him. We will forever be with the Lord, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says. And when the sinners are judged, hear me, church, we're going to stand there and we're going to see them one by one depart from me, you work of iniquity, thrown into a lake of fire, forever to be burned, forever and forever and forever. And don't you think for a minute we're going to sit back and say, yeah, I knew he didn't have it. I didn't. Let me tell you something. You're going to be weeping and you're going to be crying over this. Why? Because at the end of Revelation, it says, and then he shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. And there should be no more crying, no more death, no more pain. For the former things passed away. Behold, I make all things new. Guys, it's going to be real for us. There shouldn't be a person in the world that we... Let me tell you something. These people in the Middle East that are beheading innocent people at the sake of Allah, or I, or this, or this ISIS ideology. They need Jesus. And you ought to be praying that they find Jesus. They, listen, I'm just going to blow your minds here. You, some of y'all are going to take this. I'll probably get a message on this, but hear me. They don't deserve hell because Jesus died for their sin. Did you hear that? Listen to me very carefully. It's easy for me and you, living in the country that we live in, to sit back and say the Adolf Hitlers and the Stalins and the Jeffrey Dahmers and the ISIS commander and Osama bin Laden and all these people. They deserve hell. I heard somebody say that. They can burn in hell. Let me tell you something. I know it sounds cool. I know it politically echoes through the halls of, of the Senate. But let me tell you something. Jesus died for their sin. And I'm just going to blow your mind further. Do you know that it is not their sin that's going to send them to hell? It's their unwillingness to acknowledge Jesus as Lord of their life. How do you know that, Mark? Because John said it. John said, behold, the Lamb of God, which, watch this, taketh away the sins of the world. See, when Jesus, who knew no sin, became mine and your sin and their sin and Isis' sin, he became our sin that you and I may be made the righteousness of God. People often say, well, God turns his back on Jesus on the cross. Father, why have that forsaken me? No, no, no. Jesus became sin for all of mankind from the beginning of time to the end of the world. He became that sin. He became the epitome of that sin. He became the dirt of that sin. He and his humanity, he had to be human in order to do that, but he had to be God in, other, in order to atone home for our sins that's called hypostatic union it's one and the same we can't fathom that but when he died he died as our sin and it was gone not just covered so you say what does that mean because we will be held accountable i heard a guy say this one time i heard him say it out loud 
I don't really care if that guy goes to hell because he is so stinking mean to everybody. Man, I want to I snatch him up and say, dude, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You and I both deserve hell, but God... You deserve hell, but God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you when you were in the middle of saying, well, I found Jesus in 1994. No, you didn't. You weren't even looking for him. He pursued you with his precious love, and you, thank God, said yes to him. You didn't find him. He was never lost. You were. We're going to be held accountable, church. This may, some of y'all sitting here today going, well, this is kind of some weighty stuff. I think it's time you carry some of this. I think there's a weight that we ought to carry. I think there's a, there's a vastness to what I'm telling you here. The outcome of this story is the band comes. Tells us the nature and the opportunity. It was the opportunity to give himself to God. Listen to me, church. Luke 6.38 says, give and you will receive. Well, we like that, don't we? Your gift will return in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured out into your lap. The amount you give will be determined by the amount you give back. I'm going to close today with, and you don't have to write these down. I'll put them, I'll put them on our Facebook page. We'll give you, real quickly, I'm just, I'm just going to identify. Seven quick laws of harvest. Listen, number one, you reap only what you have sown. I promise you this, not a one of you who does not plant a garden on Good Friday of this year, you will not be picking a garden come July. Pretty elementary. Yet we somehow think in our spiritual life that the opposite is true. We sow nothing and we start looking to God for blessing. The Bible says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever man sows, yet shall he also reap. And if you don't sow to the goodness of God, then you sow to the evil of the world. That's what you're going to reap. Law two. Y'all come on out, guys. Man, y'all come on out. We reap the same kind, the same in kind as we sow. I was telling Jeremy the other day because, Jeremy, we were having a talk about sowing and reaping, and he's from Jamaica, and he understood this principle. And I told him, I said, I said it's like this, Jeremy. I said, if you take an apple seed and you plant it in the ground, what kind of tree is going to come up? He goes, apple. Yeah, he's getting it. I said, Jeremy, if you, you take a tomato seed and you plant it in the ground, what, what are you going to get? A tomato yeah, awesome. I said, if you plant evil seed, what you going to get? He goes, an evil tree. Yeah, we're rocking. And I said, but if you plant, here's the promise, Jeremy, but if you plant great seed, you're going to reap great fruit. He goes, you're going to reap grapefruit? No, great fruit. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. It's not just a negative warning, church. It's a, it's a promise. I don't have to, you're not going to mock God. Genesis records in the six days of creation that God ordered everything to produce after its kind. Everything has to bear fruit. You have to bear fruit. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. When you sow your character, you reap a destiny. Real quickly, three, we reap in different seasons than when we sow. Too many believers today are sowing to their wild oats throughout the week and then going to church on Sunday and praying for crop failure. Don't be deceived, church. Don't be deceived. If you're sowing to the wind, you're going to reap a what? A whirlwind. 
Watch this. You're sowing seed today for a harvest tomorrow. Law four. I love this. I thank God for this. We reap more than we sow. You plant that one little apple seed. If you're around long enough to persevere to see it, that tree will grow to be a hardy tree with many branches, with hundreds and thousands of apples. The same is true. Watch this. You sow just the smallest amount of faith. The Bible says a mustard seed of faith. You're going to reap a blessing that's going to blow your mind. Right now, some of you already know what it is you're holding on to too tightly. If you sow that thing you're holding on to tightly, that's the thing that's going to have breakthrough in your life. Law five, we reap in proportion of what we sow. You want to sow. How many of you want to reap greatness? How many of you want to see great things in your life? You want to see great things in your children? Hold your hand up. You want to see great things in your marriage? You want to see great things in your children? Keep them up for just a moment. Maybe lift both hands up. Just lift them both up for a minute and make it real awkward. How many of you want to see amazing things with your children, with your town, with your church, with your family? Keep them up for a minute. It's okay. Jesus held his out all day long. I want you to understand something. If you take the proportion of what you want to see God do and just give a little bit more than what you're doing now. And Mark, you're talking about money. I'm talking about money. I'm talking about prayer life. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about hope. I'm talking about faith. Everything that God has given you, it belongs to His, man. Lay it at His feet and begin to believe God for an increase. It's a fact that will remain until the end of time. Law 6 and 7. We reap the full harvest of the good only if we persevere. Can I tell you something? If you plant a garden, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything for the weeds to creep in. You don't have to plant them. They're there. You can tear them up out of the ground. You can put Roundup. You can do everything you want to do. Weed X paper. And you leave it alone and it'll still creep through. It'll go through concrete. That is exactly the way the enemy is in your life. If you sow good seed today, but you don't persevere tomorrow, and you don't believe God tomorrow, and keep investing, and keep pouring in, don't you come in here one day and go, man, I got the victory, only to walk out next week and say, now I don't have to go back until things get bad again. You have to persevere. Or those weeds of doubt, those weeds of anxiousness and depression, and last year's stuff is going to creep up, and it's going to choke out your fruit. And then last thing, I've said this to y'all before. Somebody needs to hear this today. Today, you're standing in a harvest of what you have sown last year, last week, last month. And you don't like where you are. And because of that, your frustration will not allow you to sow new seed today because you're standing in a place of difficulty. Your marriage is on the rocks. Your finances, you don't don't even know how to tie. That plate comes by and it breaks your heart every week because you think there's no way I can give it. You know why? Because you're in a harvest time where you did not sow seed over here. But watch this, church. Hear me. Don't live in what you've done yesterday. Don't live in just this harvest now. What you do right now is going to determine what's going to happen next week, next year and possibly all of eternity never led anybody to the Lord I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands but most of the church will never lead a person to Jesus do you know why? because you've never sown a seed of faith and just shared the gospel with someone that's lost I'm going to be real bold if you don't ever share Jesus with somebody you will probably never see a harvest of souls of people coming to know Jesus stepping out on a limb to say that 
be like Michael Jordan on the basketball court. The reason, the reason that he was the one of the best players ever to walk on the court, the reason that he was the high, he led in highest assist, highest points scored, all of these things, MVP, is because he missed more shots than he ever made. You got to take a risk, guys. Church, you got to risk it all. You've risked it all for the world. Risk it all for Jesus and watch a harvest begin to pour into your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me all over the room. What if we, what if the church, what if you began to invest differently in your prayer life? Would you hear from God? What if you, the church, what if we begin to invest different in our scripture reading? Would you begin to understand the word of God? What if you, what if I begin to invest differently in the way that we love people? Would we begin to love ourselves? Church, it's just a matter of sowing and reaping, seed time and harvest. Every head bowed and every eye closed. First of all, right now, I want to ask you, do you know that you know that you know? That if you die today, that you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Mark, I have heaven for a home. I know it. I'm 100% sure of it. If you know that today, every head bowed and every eye closed, raise your hand. Say, I know. I'm a child of God. I'm 100% sure of it. Some hands could not go up. Please put your hands down. What are you waiting for today? You sow a seed of faith. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of your works. It's not anything you could do to be good enough for it. You're not good enough for it. But we're saved on his merit. Romans 3.23 says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 10.13 says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. That's a seed of faith. And the harvest is an eternity with Jesus. Would you pray with me right now from your heart to God? Pray this prayer. Dear God in heaven, I believe in Jesus. And I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart to forgive me of all of my sin. Jesus, will you save me? I want to make you Lord of my life today. Help me. Help me, Jesus, to live for you. Until the day you call me home. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed that in faith today, without any hesitation, no one looking around, lift your hand right now. Lift it up high. God bless you and you. God bless you, ma'am. And you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. At least five people raised their hand today. God bless you, son. I see your hand over there. God bless you. We have some prayer partners down front. They're not going to ask you to join the church, though. If you want to do that, we'd love to have you be a member, to be a member of our fellowship. Maybe God's calling you to do that. But if you pray today and you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, I want you right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to just get up from where you are. Come down here. They're just going to pray with you. Say, Mark, why do I have to get up? You don't. But I want you to because I want to celebrate with you. I want these people to pray with you, to answer your questions, to tell you what God has done in your life. We want to encourage you. We want to help you. We want to pray with you. So right now, I want to ask you to come right now. If you prayed and asked Jesus into your heart, just come right now there's a friend next to you, just grab their hand and say, hey, will you walk with me? The rest of you, you want to see something different in your life? You want to see a different harvest in your life? How many of you can say in faith right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to lift your hand and say, Mark, I want to see a different harvest in my life. I want to see a different tomorrow. I want to see a different future. Just lift your hand up right now. Say, yeah, that's me. Hands all over the room. Then do something different today, church. If you've never gotten up from the place you're sitting, when I ask you to stand, I don't want you to hesitate. I don't want you to think about it. Don't debate it in your spirit. Just get up from your seat when I tell you to stand. If you gave your life to Jesus, come. If you want to give your life to Jesus and, 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 and sowing of seed, come. If you want to believe God for a greater harvest, come. 
And if you want to join our church today, the doors stand open. Come. But when I have you stand, I want you to come right now. One, two, three.